0: Amen. Genesis chapter 13 this morning. Genesis 13. We'll dismiss our children and to our children's ministry while we turn to Genesis 13. The cross is that which we're about. It is the answer, not just for salvation. It's the answer for victory. Paul talked about that in Galatians 2 and verse 20. He says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives. Literally God lives in me. And so we never want to get over the cross. Never look at the cross as just a past event. Paul's declaration was it took place in the past with ongoing benefit and results. The power of the cross. Genesis chapter number 13. You have it. Let's stand, please, and let's look at beginning in verse number 1. Genesis 13, verse 1, And Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and lot with him into the south. And Abram was very rich in cattle and silver and in gold. And he went on his journeys from the south even to Bethel. Unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai. Unto the place of the altar which he had made there at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. And Lot also, which went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. And the land was not able to bear them that they might dwell together, for their substance was great, so that they could not dwell together. And there was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle, and the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled then in the land. And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left, then I will go to the right. Or if thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. Before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar then lot chose him all the plain of jordan lot journeyed east and they separated themselves the one from the other and abram dwelt in the land of canaan lot dwelt in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent toward sodom but the men of sodom were wicked and sinners before the lord exceedingly let me just stop there a moment the the poetic Language of the King James says, But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. What these words are telling us is that what these men of Sodom were and what they did was something of the most grotesque, heinous crimes against God, not in private, It says they were doing it in the face of God and flaunting it. That's the concept of wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. And the Lord said unto Abram, verse 14, After that lot was separated from him, lift up now thine eyes, and look from the place where thou art northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land which thou seest, To thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Arise, walk through the land in the length of it, and in the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. Then Abram removed his tent, and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, And notice the phrase, and built there an altar unto the Lord. Now take your Bible and turn over to Genesis chapter 19. And there came two angels to Sodom at even. And Lot sat in the gate of Sodom. And Lot, seeing them, rose up to meet them. And he bowed himself with his face toward the ground, and he said, Behold now, my lords, turn in, I pray you, into your servant's house, and tarry all night, and wash your feet, and he shall rise up early, and go on your ways. And they said, Nay, but we will abide in the street all night. And he pressed upon them greatly, and they turned in unto him, and entered into his house, and he made them a feast, and did bake unleavened bread, and they did eat. But before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house round, both old and young, all the people from every quarter. And they called unto Lot and said unto him, Where are the men which came into thee this night? Bring them out unto us that we may know them. The word know is the idea, the same word that said of Adam knew his wife Eve and she bare a son. These men said, bring out those men of God that we might intimately, physically know them. Verse six, and Lot went out at the door unto them and shut the door after him and said, I pray you, brethren, do not so wickedly Behold, now I have two daughters which have not known man. Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you, and do ye to them as is good in your eyes. Only unto these men do nothing. For therefore came they under the shadow of my roof. We'll stop our reading right there. It's hard to believe as many times as I've read this and I'm still reading these words that have been forever settled in heaven, and it doesn't get any easier to read it. But the Bible tells us in 2 Peter chapter 2, Lot was a saved man. If Peter didn't tell us that, we would not have any idea that we're talking about a saved man here. But he was saved. But he tells us, God tells us, That even though you're saved, your soul is saved, you have eternal life, God living in you. Taking you to heaven is what will happen. But keeping you off the highway to hell until you get there is not a guarantee. Lot was a man who was saved, but he lost everything else. This morning, I want to preach some thoughts so they may continue into tonight. I want to preach on some lessons from a loser. few people I can think of in the Bible has lost more than a lot. And God puts him here, I believe, to not only help us see the nations that have come out of Lot that are the problem today, but also the lessons that are in Lot for us to learn from today. Lessons from a loser. Thank you, please be seated. Lot, the nephew of Abraham, the first time he's mentioned to us is in Genesis chapter 11 and verse 27. We're told of his father and his grandfather in that passage. When his father and grandfather died, Lot then accompanied his uncle Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 into Egypt and then into Canaan. Genesis chapter 13 and verse 1. After he gets into uh, Canaan, he separates from his uncle and he finds himself heading towards the place where he has the most regret perhaps. We're told in Genesis 14 that his uncle steps in, intervenes, and and Lot experiences deliverance because of a godly uncle. But in Genesis 19, we find that Lot not only is in Sodom, but he's also a man of influence in Sodom. Now, I want you to contrast in our minds here a moment what the Bible is giving to us very plainly. In chapter 19, we see pretty much the demise of Lot and his family and his descendants for many a generation. But in chapter 18, we're told something unique about his uncle Abraham. The Bible tells us that Abraham is a friend of God. The only man given that title, he's told that in 2 Chronicles 20 and verse number 7 in Isaiah 41 in verse number 8, in James 2 in verse 23, Abraham is a friend of God. You know, friendship involves ministry. And we find in chapter number 18 that Abraham had a ministry. He had a ministry in chapter 18 to the Lord. He serves the Lord. Have you ever thought about that? What would you serve the Lord? He served the Lord, he served the Lord a meal. In chapter number 18, verses 9 through 15, Abraham had a ministry to his home. You want to be a friend of God? You must attend to the responsibilities that God has given to you concerning your home. Everybody has them. The man, the husband, the father has role and responsibility. The wife, the mother has role and responsibility. Children have a role and responsibility. You want to be a friend of God? You don't dismiss where God puts a maximum interest in the home. Our theme this year is experiencing God. If you experience Him in your heart, it's to overflow in your home. And what you experience of God in your heart and home, the overflow is going to be right here in church. Abraham not only had a ministry to the Lord in chapter 18 and to his home, but he also had a ministry to the lost world. Abraham was a friend of God. Do you know that Lot's not called the friend of God? He's not even called a lesser friend of God. Because there are not friends of God's, God and lesser friends. You're either a friend of God or you're the friend of the world. Lot was a friend of the world. Chapter 19 describes it. You know, Lot had everything Every ima- uh, imaginable advantage given to him to help him live life in victory and to the fullest. We're, we're told he was taken in and reared by Uncle Abraham. Not Father Abraham, it was Uncle Abraham. When Abraham first trusted God and got on that revival journey, that faith walk with God that puts him in Hebrews chapter 11. Lot was with him, but apparently he paid little attention to the testimony and the witness of Abraham. Lot was given the first choice of land, direction, opportunity by Abraham, but he chose selfishly that which reminded him of Egypt and that which drew him into Sodom. He was rescued from enslavement when captured by an invading army in Genesis chapter 14. So get the picture. Lot starts out with Abraham. As Abraham hears from God, he has a transaction of faith with God. Lot doesn't pay attention to how to be a friend of God. Lot, he's given opportunity. He couldn't say, nothing ever works out for me. No one ever pays attention to my needs. No, he was given deference by Abraham. And then he was given a second chance and a third chance. But instead of returning with Abraham, he chose, Lot chose Sodom. You see, Lot loved Sodom and the opportunities that Sodom offered, both in business, both in pleasure, both in personal relationships, Lot coveted, whatever that lifestyle may have offered, Scripture gives us a graphic picture of Lot's love for Sodom. The declining stages he went through moved him closer and closer to Sodom and it's carnal and wicked, depraved lifestyle that he was able to tolerate and stomach. This chapter, chapter 19, records the sad consequences of Lot's spiritual decline. Then Lot passes off the scene just as 1 John chapter 2 tells us that the things of the world passeth away, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever, just like Uncle Abraham. See, Abraham was the friend of God, but Lot was the friend of the world. James 4, verse 4, James says, you adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever will therefore be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Sodom is mentioned six times in the Old Testament, four times in the New. Sodom is synonymous with sexual perversion of every kind. Sodom is a serious example of what an overthrow looks like by God without remedy. The sins of Sodom knew no remedy. As Paul teaches in Romans chapter one, when a society tolerates What God doesn't stomach, that society indulges in wickedness and becomes a totally abandoned culture. Someone said if God doesn't judge America, He'll have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. But I've got news for you. God's been judging America. We are experiencing the total abandonment of that which is right, that which is truth, that which is designed to deliver. You think about it. The founder of our country is given one day of recognition while an entire group that is involved in an abomination against God and is proud of it, they're given an entire month in the United States of God bless America. We live in a tolerant, peace loving society that preaches we will not tolerate any discrimination based upon race, gender, or religious beliefs unless you're a white male that it claims to be a Christian. We say and hear it preach love is love unless you decide to love God and love your country. It's all about a woman's rights, we're told. But no one who's leading that charge knows how to define what a woman actually is. Even the one that they present to the Supreme Court cannot define what a woman actually is. Trust the science, we're told, but denied basic biology. Our kids can never pretend to be an Indian without being reprimanded, but a man is praised when he pretends to be a woman. A black woman cannot be put on a syrup bottle, but a fake woman can be put on a beer can. Black lives matter, we're told, except inside the womb of a black mother. Our government suggests that college students should not have to pay for their student loans because they don't have sense enough. They wouldn't call it that. But they say they cannot understand the document they signed to get that loan. But we are to believe that an elementary aged child can decide for themselves without parents' permission to change their gender. I'm telling you, we we live in a catastrophic, messed up society that is falling fast into hell And we, instead of buying the truth and selling it not, we're compromising the truth just like Lot. We're told in Genesis 13 that Lot lifted up his eyes and he looked upon Sodom. He looked at it and he reasoned, this is a pretty good place, not Sodom. He didn't choose Sodom sitting in church on a Sunday morning. He was just choosing a life that seemed to make sense. It's a good life. This is good land. It's fertile soil. But then we're told in Genesis 13, verses 12 through 13, that he chose to move, pitching his tent towards Sodom. And later, Genesis 14, verse 12, he moves into the city of Sodom. Until Genesis 19 and verse 1, we finally see him sitting at the gate. Sitting at the gate means he has a leadership position, maybe something like a mayor of Sodom. See, Lot began the pilgrimage to the promised land with Abraham, the will of God. But once he got there, he saw something brighter, something more uh, uh, pleasant to him in the opportunities of Sodom. Instead of living a life of faith, he lived a life of what felt right. Listen, when you leave faith to what feels right, your feeler becomes desensitized. Desensitization, that's what's happening. God's people are being desensitized. You've seen it if you've looked at anything digital where people can literally be beat to a pulp or even murdered while people stand around videoing. Not intervening. No, not even calling for help. Even cheering on the one who's being beaten. Well, that's not the problem. The problem is the lots who are saved, who are desensitized towards the sin that is designed to strangle the life out of you. Instead of getting mad at the sin... And the crying that put Jesus on the cross, many of God's people, just like Lot, are getting mad at the one who's delivering the mail, who is preaching the truth, who's trying to help you so that you can keep your kids out of hell. Lot is a basic picture of backsliding. We looked at demons, the backslider, but Lot is a much deeper, fuller, richer picture of the anatomy of a backslider. We see his compromise with the world. We see his involvement with wicked thinking. We see him losing his testimony and becoming powerless we see his desire to linger in that which God is going to condemn we see his ignoring the warning judgments we see him being delivered even because of the prayer of others who were closer to God but we see him ignoring a second chance and a third chance and we see him going right back into the bitter slide away from God These were wicked, extremely wicked men, Genesis 13, 13, that we read. But that didn't concern Lot. He liked the vibe. So he chose to stay. Lot not only lived near Sodom, he actually became a leader in Sodom. Though it seems that Lot never went along with the worst of the wickedness, Maybe he kept his own morals intact, but it is clear from Genesis 19 that he made so many small seemingly compromises. 2 Peter 2 tells us that his soul, his righteous soul was tortured, vexed. It was vexed, not because he had an abominable relationship with another man, but his soul was vexed because of what he heard and what he saw and what he tolerated within his life. Most tragically, he kept his mouth shut. He kept his mouth shut about who God was and who he was. And in the end, Sodom was destroyed Lot was spared by the skin of his teeth, but he lost everything. He lost his wife. He lost his children. He lost his family. He lost his testimony. Lessons from a loser, number one. Your direction, not your intention, is what determines your destination. Your direction, not your intention, is what determines your destination. In evangelism, just going in for a few nights into a service, I can enter into a conversation, don't know the people, don't know the context, and I don't don't have any time to waste. And, And so they engage in a conversation. They lay out, here's the situation, what do you think? And I can tell them, You're in a mess. Again, no context. And and so, you know, they can like it or lump it, park it or pay rent. And and I'm not there for whether they like me or not. I'm just there based upon uh, the, the, the call of God, the invitation to preach and preaching for revival. Not about it, but for it. But the difference on this side of pastoring, I can listen to somebody and I can tell them the same thing. You're headed for trouble. And they get mad. It's not what they wanted to hear. But I'm not called to tell you what you want to hear. I'm called to tell you what God says you need to hear. But all the while, somebody can tell me all their good intentions and how how well-meaning they are and just how good-hearted they are and just that we're good people. But I've got to remind you, just like Lot... Your direction, not your intention, is what determines your destination. You might be saying, just like Lot did, like so many do, I I, I can never see myself doing what Lot ever did. I have no desire to go through the sewage of sin. That's not me. I want to say to you, Lot never intended to make Sodom his home. He certainly did not intend to be included in the judgment of Almighty God. But there are many Christians like Lot that are so attracted to the world and to themselves that they make their home as close to the things of the world as possible. They end up identifying as much with the world as they do with the people of God. Many would declare that they would never do the horrific things like Lot. And while it may be legitimate to say that you do not have any desire to backslide or be in the place that Lot found himself, if you're looking at what you desire, if you're looking at what you long for, if you look at where your feet are planted and where your eyes are fixed, it'll tell you where you're going to end up. Listen, you don't measure and discern your life by the intention or desire that you have. There were many a person in the Bible who desired salvation that did not get saved because the desire in itself is not enough. What is it that I measure my life by? Well, just like if you look up a car value, there is a guide for that. God has a guide for us. God is his own guide, but he's given to us some things that can help us. It's called process. It's called the trajectory of your life. See, the process that you have adopted, the trajectory that you are establishing, those things will tell you where you will end up. It's not just the desire. I have no desire to go into sin. I have no desire to get addicted to drugs. I have no desire to cheat on my wife. I have no desire to be pregnant outside of wedlock. I have no desire to blaspheme God. Well, that's good. That's fine. Peter had no desire to deny the Lord, but he did because you're, Direction is not determined by your intention, but by the process and the trajectory that is found in your heart. Jesus said it this way He says, There are two roads. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 there's the straight gate. Where you enter into, for wide is the gate, broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Verse number 14, we're told, because straight is the gate, narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. See, Jesus says, the road that you're on determines your destination. You're gonna end up in destruction not by getting on the narrow road, you end up in destruction by getting on the broad road. I think every single step leading up to disaster, Lot would have told you what his intention is. Lot, you're in trouble, man. I think Lot, every step of the way, he would have said, I'm going to honor the God of Abraham just like my uncle. I'm not going to get caught up in the nonsense sin of Sodom. Not me. I believe that was his intent. But again, it's not your intention that determines your destination. It's your direction. Where do you see Lot's direction heading over a number of years? Looking at Sodom, getting closer to Sodom, closer to Sodom, in Sodom, and Sodom in Him. For some of you, you're on a path that's heading towards destruction. How can you tell? Let me me help you again. It's your trajectory, it's the process. It's where your feet are pointed. Well, what if I can't tell? Here's a sure giveaway, dead giveaway. Here's a telltale sign. You're heading for destruction, you ready? You don't wanna know. When you don't wanna know, you're going the wrong direction. When you've been here for years and you still don't want to know, you're going the wrong direction. Whenever I've said, we're concerned about you and you get miffed, mad, muffled, what other M word? You're going the wrong direction. I just can't wait till I tell my wife what preacher said. you going the wrong direction. When you talk more critical about those men who are trying to help you to your coworkers who are either lost and heading to hell or they are barely saved at that and yet you're gonna dump your sewage out of your mouth to them rather than see... God loves me. He's trying to help me. It's because you're going the wrong direction. Some of you are on the path that's going to lead to addiction. Some of you are leading on a course that's going to lead to divorce. Some of you are heading down the road that's going to cripple your marriage. It's not the direction. Excuse me. It's not your intention. It's the direction. The moment Lot pitched his tent toward Sodom, it was all over. Oh, not because there was no hope, but because he chose the path. Number two, what you set your eyes on, you begin to value. What you set your eyes on, you begin to value. Now, we're going back even a step further to see where Lot determined his direction. Remember back in Genesis 13, when Abraham said, We be brethren, let there be no strife between us and our herdsmen. Lot, you choose wherever you want to go. What did Lot choose? He chose that which reminded him of Egypt. Now, now keep in mind, uh, this is going to help you. Abraham was not perfect. He was not a perfect man. We are told Abraham's sins, his shortcomings, and his his deep unbelief at times. Abraham should have never gone into Egypt. He went down to Egypt. He got rich. He got rich with the things of the world, but he got bankrupt with the things that helped him in his relationship with God. Lot went with him. Abraham did get right, so could have Lot. Lot. But because Lot went to Egypt, Egypt didn't come out of Lot. That's why we don't have to wait for revival meeting to have a revival. That's why we can meet with God and experience God each and every day, because the things of this world, they are warping our senses, and we need to have a balance and a tune-up in the presence of God in each and every day. But instead, Lot continued to nurture what he had experienced in Egypt, and when Abraham said, Lot, you choose wherever you want to go, and I'll just take whatever's left over, Lot chose what reminded him of Egypt, the well-watered, planes that introduced him to Sodom. See, he put his eyes in the wrong direction. What happened when David lifted up his eyes and he saw a woman that was not his wife? It appealed. He desired it. Lot couldn't get past what his eyes saw. You've heard me say before, you steer where you stare. Contrast that with Abraham. The Bible says in Hebrews 11 and verse 8, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should have to receive, for an inheritance he obeyed without not knowing whether he went. In other words, God called Abraham. God says, I'm going to use you. But God says, I'm not telling you step-by-step instructions. I'm not giving you the big map overview. I'm not giving you what you want when you want it. I'm telling you, I'm God, you're not, you trust. And when I say you stop, you stop. When I say park, you park. And when I say you go, you go. Trust and obey. And the Bible says of Abraham, he had no idea where he was going. He had no idea where he was supposed to to go next or, or go when, but he did know God. But Lot was entirely going off of what he could see and feel. And Lot would say something probably like this. Well, you know the way I see it. Whereas Abraham would be saying, well, you know the way God sees it. It's a life of faith versus a life of feeling. Remember the ten spies? Their first response, oh, it, it, it rots my socks. I, I, can't, I can't control um, what, how you respond, but I, 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 I don't have as much toleration when our staff responds like one of the 10 spies. When the first response is, I can't do it. Mm. I, I can't do it. I don't think we can do it. Well, it's a good thing. We don't have to seek you first. But we can seek God first and his righteousness and all these that you don't think could happen, God can do. I want to tell you, sir, check your heart. Check your home. Is the response always, I don't think we can do it. I don't think I can do that. I don't think, I don't, I don't, I don't, I I just don't, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know about that. I, I just don't think, I do, no, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. What you set your eyes on, you begin to value. What are you choosing to put in front of your eyes? Is it God's word or is it the television? Is it God's word or is it your phone? Whatever you put in front of your eyes, for better or for worse, that's what you will begin to value. So be careful. Number three. Brother Joe Dickinson preached Wednesday night. He got up and it was like 340 is what the time said. Now there's no clock up there at all whatsoever. (laughs) The clock is gone. So I will look here and see. All right. Number three. Tolerating, number three, tolerating that which God hates will lead to experiencing what you hate. When you tolerate that which God hates, you will eventually experience what even you yourself hate. Why? Because when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. When sin is finished, it results in death. See, most Christians do not intend to become Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot never intended to make Sodom his home. But many Christians like Lot are so attracted to self-pleasure, gratification, that they make their home as comfortable as possible, allowing themselves to keep a distance and yet stay connected. I like what Spurgeon said. Spurgeon said, if you're going to be saved, be saved 100%. In other words, if you're going to get saved, if you're going to trust God to save you, why don't you see, he wants you to be all in. Why, why dabble with the one who saves you? The most miserable person in the world is a half committed Christian who is just enough in the world to be miserable and God and just enough into God that you're miserable with the world again Peter 2 Peter 2 lot was vexed tortured it says in his soul in his righteous soul he was tortured he he he, he loved it but he hated it he wanted it but he didn't want it there's pleasure in sin for a season What it doesn't say is what it implies. There is also great regret and disgust in sin for the other season. See, when you tolerate what God hates, you will experience eventually what even you hate. The worst thing to do is try to straddle two opinions. You can't keep trying to walk along with your feet in both worlds. You've got to make up your mind. What do you really want? Where do you want to be? Where do you want to belong? If you want to be with the world, go to the world. If you want to go with God, go with God. Sin always, listen, sin always has your best interest at heart. Did you hear that? Sin always has your best interest at heart. See, Lot felt fully justified in making the decision to pitch his tent towards Sodom. It was a large plain. It was well watered. He could graze many flocks there. And there's civilization, which would make it much easier to bring his animals to market. And in his mind, he probably had a bunch of reasons to justify he's making the right choice. But that's the problem. That's the problem. Are you listening? Listen fast and I'll get done faster. Listen. The problem is sin always has your best interests at heart. You've lived this truth out in your life, many of you, many times. And here's what I mean by that. You've managed to talk yourself into every bad decision you've ever made. You've talked yourself into it. Every bad decision you've ever made in your life has had one common denominator you sin is always incredibly deceptive which is why we need God which is why we need a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit of the living God to transform our hearts because left to our own selves we deceive ourselves into every bad decision we ever make and we'll justify it every step of the way. All the while, you try to counsel Lot. You try to help him in 2 Peter 2. He's tortured in his soul, but he's not gonna listen to you. Just like many of you don't listen. You've chosen to put your kids in Sodom. Someone says, oh, he's going to bring up the school again. You brought up the school. But since you did, I'll go there. If you have half a brain cell and you're a child of Almighty God, you tell me what Sodom has to offer that's better than what God has to offer. And if you bring up money, I'm going to tell you that there's a God that I know who has no hurting for money. So what's your excuse? If your children are even dabbling with pornography and it hasn't shocked the socks off of you in such a way that forced you to put your face on the floor and cry out to God, something's wrong with you, sir. I'll tell you what it is. You've yet to learn the lessons from Lot the loser. But I want to tell you even further than that. The school is not the answer. You put your kids in the school, they sleep in the school. You can chain them to the walls of the school. And it's not the answer, but Jesus is. And the problem is, you've yet to come to him and get serious. I am so sick and tired. And you've not even begun to figure out what I'm sick and tired of. But I am sick and tired of God's people who are content coming in, plopping on a pew, warming a pew, and making excuses for the same junk that put Lot in the biggest regret of his life, losing his family. And you, sir, you, sir, are no exception. And if you want to be a man, you better be man enough to accept the responsibility just like Lot. And if you have to let your wife and your children tell you that you're in charge and you're doing okay, you're just like Lot. Welcome to Kingdom Baptist Church. Well, Brother Entree, I'm going to come back tonight. I'm going to finish it. I'll tell you, half the crowd's not. Look like they have the flu. They've already set in, they're changing colors, and some of them shouldn't be changing colors. And, but I'm telling you, our kids are not for sale. And you've sold them out because you like not having to take the grief and the griping from your family. I'm not talking to the wives. You can go home and listen to your husband, but I am talking to you men. And next time you get out of shape when someone's trying to help you, we don't get, there's not a teacher that's employed at this institution that gets paid enough to listen to your junk. You want your kids to go to hell? You'll go against God to do so and you'll go against the heart of this pastor. You say, my kids are saved. Then why do you want them to experience hell? You say, what am I supposed to do? Why don't you get to God and stay with him? And quit flirting with the world. Quit missing out on church. Quit missing out on experiencing God. Quit missing. Let's stand together, please.